You're listening to the Broncos Audio Zone. Broncos History Podcast for the Broncos 100. Yes, the list is out of the 100 most outstanding Denver Broncos with fan voting playing a part in determining this list. I'm Andrew Mason of DenverBroncos.com, joined by longtime Bronco employee, now contributor to DenverBroncos.com, also to Nine News. You can watch his sideline stories during the regular season. Jim Sakamano, always a pleasure, Jim, and Let's just start with this. You and I worked together to help create this list with the aid of all the Broncos Mm -hmm. fans, the thousands of Broncos fans who took part in the voting. And now that we've got this list, how how do you feel about it? I feel great. Um, I think uh, I like the fact that every player on this list got fan votes. So that's a big deal. Now, some players got 99% of them because they were John Elway or Peyton Manning. But everybody got votes. Now, the, having said that, the fans voted for about 201 people. Actually, they could not vote on the Ring of Famers, but it's a given they would have. So it had to be cut in half, and we had a great role in that, I thought. I really liked, you know, my when I first started doing it, I, I sort of just did the smell test. And without, I said, how many guys can I go through a name before I start to compare records and careers and honors and stuff? And then you come down to those other guys and you discuss them, and it's uh, it's a real honor. I feel great about it. And there's nobody at all that that I could have matched up with better than you, Andrew. And that's well, the thank truth. You. And that means a lot, especially because I don't have the depth of in-person knowledge that you do because, of course, the Broncos played 16 seasons before I was on this earth. And then Aston- played, you have astonishing uh, knowledge, well, Tampa, uh, Andrew. Florida. And you were in Florida. You were in an NFC city, Tampa. You have astonishing depth of knowledge about the Broncos. Un- frankly, unparalleled uh, and second to mine and in some cases superior to wow. mine. I'm flattered by that. And that's why this discussion was so fun was because Talking to you, I was able to learn something about players, and I think as we discussed some guys, I think both of us learned something about Mm -hmm. the resumes of some. If you want to go to the list, of course, the full list is on denverbroncos.com elsewhere, and you can uh, see that. But I want to talk about a few names in particular that uh, they're not ring of famers, and maybe they're a bit forgotten, but... I love the fact that they're on this list because it confers and confirms their place in Broncos history. Right. So let's start with some guys from the 60s, and one in particular, Al Denson, the wide receiver, played from 1964 to 70. And let's face it, with these players who played in the 60s, the fan vote was not going to put them on because there's always a little bit of recency bias when you have an internet-based fan vote, but I can't imagine this list of Broncos 100 without Al Denson. No, uh, Al Davis, then a really big wheel, and actually the coach before he turned the rollover uh, for the Raiders, once made the statement, 
if we had Al Denson, I'd have the rings made now. Uh, Al Denson was a fabulous player on a team that was like, without even looking up the record, I think he might have been on one or two, three and three and eleven teams. But he, at that, he's a fifty-some catch guy. Back in the day, when that was significant back then. Oh, which that's is a why massive Lion, total. Which is why Lionel Taylor's totals to me mean he should be in the Hall of Fame conversation because he had five hundred forty-three receptions from nineteen sixty to sixty-six, which is about. Like basically having a 100 catch yeah. season every year. Today. Yeah, that's right. Uh, if if you if you prorated Lionel Taylor to today, I'm not sure what the total would be. I'm not sure. I mean, uh, I think uh, is it is Brandon Marshall uh, going to be near his thousandth catch or he's close to it? On that basis, Lionel Taylor might have two thousand. It's it's an unimaginable total. But uh, you but there are a lot of guys in this list. Um, Deacon Jones once told me, but not me alone, but he said, the Hall of Fame is the place where John Elway can't get away from me, and I can never catch John Elway, because everybody's in. And similarly with these hundred guys, and I'm so glad they're not rated one through a hundred. It's obvious that some guys are at the top of any list, you know, John and Peyton, but everybody who's on it was a real contributor and a real ball player, and they're different eras. Um, and, and sometimes you have different support guys. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a, it was a wonderful list to do. And, uh, yeah, Denson was a great player. It was enjoyable to do this. And Al Denson, to go back through his stat line, while with Denver, averaged 16.6 yards per catch, 250 receptions, 4,150 yards, and 32 touchdowns as the Bronco, including 11 touchdowns in 1967, 10 more in 1969. That 1967 season was also that was his career year, 899 yards, a robust average of 19.5 yards per catch on Lou Saban's first team. Actually, if you prorated those out, they're actually Hall of Fame statistics. And that 1967 team, by the way, Lou Saban had come in, and uh, he kept 21 rookies. And I think the roster then was no no more than forty. It might have been like it thirty-seven. Was 40. Well, that was back in the day. Remember the Minnesota Vikings? Oh yeah, forty for sixty. Yeah, but uh, but it's just astonishing to think of productivity like that. Anyway, he's just one example. But yeah, Al Denson was one of those guys that came to me, and and quite honestly, I had no question about it. But I could see a lot of people not not having any idea who he is and and not knowing about him at all. So I was honored to have a role with him. His 1967 season, by the way, with 11 touchdowns, still ranks in the top 10 in Broncos history for single-season touchdown catches. That's amazing. It's astonishing because there was a different game in 1967 from uh, the track meet that we have now today. A couple of offensive linemen worth noting that are on this list from that era. Jerry Sturm... And Larry Kaminsky. I know Larry Kaminsky. Uh, we had a pretty good discussion mm-hmm. on, but with him, persisted as a starter, survived multiple coaching changes, including the aforementioned Lou Saban one, but also still a contributor on that offensive line when John Ralston came in, helping the Broncos to that winning season in 1973. Good enough to start before Lou Saban. Good enough to start when Lou Saban came in and cut everybody throughout all of Lou Saban's regime, and then good enough to start for John Ralston in the team's first winning season. That shows that he wasn't just one of those typical Denver players of the time. No, he was a real player, and had he been elsewhere, he would have played there too. Jerry Sturm, 
do you know this, Andrew? He is the longest tenured offensive lineman in pro football history ever to play for the Broncos. He played 15 years of professional football. I believe we've had no offensive lineman in our history to play wow. 15 years with different teams. So that just shows, made a couple of all-star teams here, mm-hmm. but it wasn't just here. He yeah. he was a real player. Still owns a Mexican restaurant in Denver. The South. And I'm yes. looking forward to uh, a lot of the stories that will come out as um, you guys or however it works, however they, they get the things that they're going to get, whatever the team's going to do, and uh, the moments that they're going to have. You know, some of these guys, Peyton Manning is accustomed to getting accolades, but some of these guys, I think, will will think it's so cool, and their families will think it's so cool. I'm really proud to note that there are 17 players who played in the AFL days that are on this list of Broncos 100. Now, some of them, Billy Thompson, for example, came in in 1969, right. so he's more connected to the Orange mm-hmm. Crush days, sure. and of course. Paul Smith played throughout the uh, 1970s up to the 1978 season as, de- as defensive end, and he's a ring of famer. But in terms of creating a team that, or a group of 100, it's not really a team, although you can kind of view it that way. Kind of look at it as a team. That reflects all eras of Bronco history. Getting so many guys from those first years went... The team wasn't good, but as you know, they were outstanding players. Bud McFadden, mm-hmm. one of the original Broncos, defensive tackle, he's on this list. Uh, Willie Brown, known more for being with the Raiders, he's on the 100. He was actually, I believe, on the second team, all-time Broncos team, as selected back in 2009 for the 50th season. Willie Brown had four pass interceptions in the first game I ever saw live, which that total is now up to 930. And... Um, <laughs> yeah, he was a great player. But these guys were all players. They were players. They, yes. they, they fit the, the description that Deacon would have. You know, that uh, you can't block them and you can't stop them from doing whatever it is they're trying to do to you. I'm looking at this, and actually I have the spreadsheet so I can sort through I presume we'll be looking at some Andrew Mason stories in the future on some yeah. of these guys because it's a, every one of them is a story. Oh, yeah. I would I would imagine so. I'm actually hoping I'll have the chance to meet some of these players that I haven't had a chance to meet. And a lot of these guys I've talked to, and in fact, one of the players on the list I talked to just last week, Steve Watson, 1979. Mm. Wonderful guy. Uh, through, through, he was actually let go in 89. His last regular season play was in 1987. What's interesting, Jim, it's kind of funny. We came out of a break on the radio and the song that was playing on the break was We Are Family. And the thing I said was, well, what an appropriate song because that song was famous in 1979, the year Steve Watson came out. And he told us the story about how he originally was not invited to the East-West Shrine game. <laughs> I know. And was, it was Jerry Butler, he said, who eventually worked for the Denver yes, Broncos. Number drafted one draft choice. By the Buffalo, Buffalo Bills. Bills. Jerry Butler pulled out of the Shrine game. That created a spot for Steve Watson. Steve Watson, I could talk a lot about Steve Watson more than you or the listeners care to hear. But, you know, Babe Pirelli liked him. And he went to work him out at, uh, at Temple. And the young lady calls from downstairs, I'm sure a student, and says, Steve, there's a man named, um, named Babe Pirelli here who wants to see you. He says, what? Well, I'm not dressed. I'm not anything. 
Babe Perilli said, hey, uh, why don't we run a 40 here in the hallway? It was raining like heck. So he said, and this is really, um, I don't know what the word is, sexist, but but Babe tells one young co-ed, honey, you stand at that end and don't let anybody in that door. And then, sweetie, you get at that end and don't let anybody in that door. Couldn't get away with that today. No, you couldn't. Anyway, they did. And he said, this is about 40 yards. Go ahead and run it. So Steve Watson runs it like heck and says, how'd I do? And Babe says, don't worry about it. Let's go catch a few balls. So it's raining like heck, so he takes him over to the gym. And Watson told me that Babe, the sweet Kentucky Babe, a great, 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 great player in his own right, and you can't make it, you can't stack enough greats up there for Babe Perilli. But he said, Babe never threw me a good pass. He threw me balls that made me dive on the gym floor and get a strawberry. I'm diving into the stands. And after about four of them, he says, that's good enough, kid. You'll be hearing from us. And, uh, you know, the, the, the easy Steve Watson could make all the catches. I remember his breakout day. He was on special teams. We were playing the Colts here. And um, he's on special teams. He catches one touchdown pass, two touchdown passes, three touchdown passes, but then he still the, the, then he runs out to cover the kick. And I can remember the fans, the ovation gives me goosebumps, Andrew, that when he ran out of that field as a kickoff coverage guy, the roar of that, of that fandom, you know, he's on the kickoff coverage team. Broncos fans have their favorites. He was one. And established himself within a couple of years – Looking back at his career, Jim. Very shy guy. I, I put, uh, when it was 1981, I, I used the locker on the media guide cover. I put 81. I used his jersey, and he was, he said, Jim, why'd you do that to me? The guys are all taunting me and teasing me. But it proved to have remarkable foresight. Obviously, he did it because it was 1981, but it was that year, Jim, he had his breakout season. Yeah. And in fact, the 94. Five-yard touchdown catch against the Lions. We even mentioned it on air last week. That remains the longest play from scrimmage in the last 56 years of Denver Broncos football. Wow. Uh, The only two plays longer were in the first three seasons. Jerry Tarr caught one. And uh, Al Frazier caught the other. Rocket Al Frazier died a year ago, and Jerry Tarr, if they were passing out pneumonia, he couldn't catch a cold. But he was a sp- Olympic sprinter. He did catch a 99-yarder from George Shaw. Steve Watson had 6,112 yards in his career. Of course, he was undrafted in 1979. And of all the receivers that were drafted that year, only three of them had more receiving yards. By the way, Jerry Butler did not have more receiving yards than Steve wow. Watson did. Butler finished with 4,000. I remember the intra-squad scrimmage yeah. at that, that ended camp in Fort Collins that year, and Watson made a catch across the middle, one of those literally parallel to the ground, fingertip catch, a fabulous catch. And after the game, one of the press said, uh, Red, uh, what do you think of Watson? And Red Miller was cautious, and he said, I think Watson, he might be okay. And I took that to mean... Red really likes Watson, but boy, he he did not throw compliments around uh, frivolously. Kind of like Vic Fangio. That's what I understand, and I think that's great. I recommended an Italian restaurant to Vic. Oh, really? And uh, to Coach Fangio. And uh, pa- Patrick called me two weeks ago. He said, hey, what's the name of that place? So I told him, and, uh, and I called the owner to tell him, do not make a big deal. 
because that's not the way Vic is. And it's a it's a mom and pop. It's a wonderful little place in a mall. Guy, call, the owner calls me the next night. He says, "Just to let you know, Coach Fangio's having dinner here now, and we're just trying to be nice and stay out of his way." So I thought that was cool. I hope he didn't get food poisoning or anything. You know, <laughs> hope he liked it. But Shelby Harris was telling me a couple of weeks ago. I asked him, "Hey, have you gotten a compliment from Vic Fangio?" And he said. They nodded at me once. <laughs> yeah, I know what One that means. One of your means. better defensive linemen playing right. well. I, I gave yeah. him a nod. Well, you know, that goes back to um, uh, once upon a time. In my beginning with the Broncos, I roomed with a guy, and each of us came out of there with a phrase. Mine was shut up and type. His was do your job. And that was, of course, Bill Belichick. And, uh, you know, just do your job and everything will be okay. Did he say it then, or did he come up with that phrase later? It was a little later. He didn't say a lot then. He was very polite, but rather on the taciturn side. He was very polite. He also really wanted to know what Joe Collier was doing. Oh, yeah. Oh, he followed Joe around. And I don't mean this badly. Uh, Joe had a lot of knowledge in his mind, and um, you know, Bill Belichick was uh, going to soak up as much of it as he could. Joe Collier, of course, was out at practice uh, during minicamp watching the Broncos go out about their I business. I saw that. What a wonderful. day that was, by the way. We're oh. going to get sidetracked here a little bit. When you had Joe Collier, Archie Manning, and Peyton Manning all out there watching the current Broncos go through their paces. Those are the kind of days that make me miss being there regularly because, you know, I'll see it on your website or something you'll write or whatever, and I'll think, doggone, I wish I would have been there. So Steve Watson – a great example of the kind of player who gets their justified reward. You know, he I had our fastest 40. He had our fastest 40 in, um, in, in the minicamp. Really? Yeah. And, and, you know, the press said, who's the fastest 40? They said, Steve Watson. So they said, can we talk to him? I said, sure. And I went looking around for somebody who wasn't six feet five. I was looking for a little guy. And I thought, a little defensive back. Right. And then finally I see this guy. says, that's Steve Watson. Holy smoke. Now, what's interesting about Steve Watson, his 40 time, he told us he ran a 40 on grass at Temple of 4.52. He must have run it faster when he got to Broncos I don't know. camp. I don't know. But, uh, but he had the fastest time. And, and, you know, I went looking for, seriously, a diminutive defensive back, <laughs> figuring that's who did this. And, and I mean, I remember he was sitting he was sitting on the ground against one of our tin sheds. They were all tin in the locker room. And he was just sitting there catching his breath. And he was huge. <laughs> anyway, the press talked to him, and it all worked out fine. Now, to go back to Joe Collier for a moment, of course, the architect of the Orange Crush changing from a 4-3 to a 3-4 during the 1976 season, helping get the defense to a level it had not reached before. And, of course, the Orange Crush, well represented when you're looking at defensive players from that era. And we'll even kind of go into the 80s as well with this. You have Paul Smith, Billy Thompson, Lyle Alzado, Barney Chavis. Seven guys from that defense made the Pro Bowl at one time or another. Randy Gratishar, Bob Swenson, Reuben Carter, Louis Wright, <laughs> Steve Foley, and then as you get into the late 70s and early 1980s, Jim Ryan, the linebacker, played on through the Super Bowl uh, 22 team. on one of our Super Bowl teams. Right. Mike Harden, safety. Rulon Jones, uh, defensive end. Uh, 
very underrated, I think, uh, both league-wide and even in Broncos what history. And then, and then Dennis Smith, who came in in 1981. Oh, it's colossal. You know, the Orange Crush defense began, the 3-4 began. Joe Collier did that because of an injury. Opening day in Cincinnati, Lyle Alzado tears up his knee. He's out for the season. I actually did a radio show then with Lyle the rest of that year. And, and Joe Collier said, geez, what are we going to do? Well, we got a lot of linebackers. Let's play a 3-4. And, and it was like shoving, shoving guys to the middle was like shoving the little character to Pac-Man. Randy Gratishar tackled everybody. He tackled everybody. I believe football writer Bill Barnwell calls it the genius of desperation. It's the title of his book. A lot of times the best innovations in the sport come from desperate situations like the one in which Joe Collier found himself early yeah. in 76. It was something. And two years later, we're in the Super Bowl. Amazing. Less than two years later. Yeah, yes. it's just amazing. Boy, that was a heck of a ball club. You know, Barney wasn't, um, he was a real solid run guy, and he played a lot of years. Uh, he was one of our notable guys, but, uh, you know, not not a sack artist or anything, and, and not a guy who, uh, Barney wouldn't dance. Unless it was Anya, maybe. No Mark Gastineau in him. No. No Mark Gastineau in Barney Chavis. Reuben Carter I want to bring up. Of course, the nose tackle on those Orange Crush teams. And he's on this list. <laughs> and Louis Wright pointed to Reuben Carter as one of the guys who really made that defense go. Reuben Carter, you you can't imagine the physique on this man. 5'11". Unbelievable, just staggering, just tremendous. Um, he was very, very private guy. And at one point, um, he refused to give his home number to the Broncos. He lived next door to Barney. So to get it, you had to call Barney and have Barney go over and tell Reuben. So finally, Barney tells Reuben that you are intrusing on my privacy. You must give the Broncos your number. And finally, he did. I'm surprised Barney didn't, just didn't give it to him himself. Say, I'm sick of taking these calls. His number is, th- well, you wouldn't say Reuben, the area code back then because everyone was 303. I once arranged, uh, I had Joe, Joe Sanchez, our Denver Post reporter, wonderful beat guy, call Reuben at his home. And Ruben answered, and Joe called introduced himself. Joe Sanchez. And he said, "Joe, if you ever dial this number again in your life, I'll kill you." So I can see where Barney didn't uh, just give the team his number, but Ruben was a was a fearsome force. Joe Sanchez. Actually, I just talked about him last week. You know why? It was a story he wrote. He was no longer on the beat, but occasionally, if the beat writers were out, he came back in. Story he wrote about Jake Plummer, who is on the Broncos 100, mm-hmm. practicing after he came off of a foot injury and went into detail about the passes that Jake Plummer threw. And that was the excuse that Mike Shanahan needed to close practice off to the media after the individual mm-hmm. period. Well, you know, that'll happen. And uh, so, Mike, and you know, Mike, at that time, the media got mad, but then every coach in football did it. And now there are rules that, that say how much you can keep open, which is not much. Joe Sanchez, once upon a time, uh, was sitting there just typing or whatever. And the guy from the other paper, the Rocky Mountain News, I forget who he said, I can't think of what to write. And Joe kind of turned around, looked at him put his reading glass on the tip of his nose and he said, let me tell you something, kid. Always write the quarterback and then tomorrow, follow it up. In other words, write about the quarterback. And 
I remember hearing that from you when I first came out here. Well, it, this, when in a doubt, lot, write about the quarterback. There's a lot of truth to that. When in doubt, you'll never lose a fan write about the quarterback. So, Jake Plummer is on this list, of course. And when it comes to quarterbacks, it's overwhelmingly ring of famers. And, of course, those guys were guaranteed yeah. to be on, which is, I think, fairly obvious. So that meant you started the Broncos 100 knowing that Frank Trapuca, Charlie Johnson, Craig Morton, John Elway were all going to be on this list. Mm-hmm. The two non-Ring of Famers on this list, Peyton Manning, who I think will be, will be in the soon. Ring of Fame very soon, we would and think. the aforementioned Jake Plummer, of course, who Wonderful led the Broncos. Record. Yes. Outstanding. Three years, three years in the playoffs, yeah. a playoff win over New England. You know, Jake made it look so easy, and maybe there was a problem. He didn't seem like he was raging with passion. He just went out there and played ball. And uh, and maybe some people didn't didn't we wish he had had demonstrated more passion or something like that, but he always played and he was a tremendous player. You know, Charlie is not well known, Charlie Johnson, but Charlie's the one of the rarest guys in pro football history. Uh, the chair, the uh, Department of uh, Engineering at New Mexico State, he was the dean of it, right. and they have a chair, literally a Charlie Johnson chair. And he was also active duty military playing for the St. Louis Cardinals. And he would fly back on weekends. I remember reading it. He Fascinating. Charlie Johnson throws three touchdown passes, gets on a plane, and goes back to Walter Reed uh, to work the week. And he was pursuing his doctorate in engineering while he was playing oh, yeah. during the off-seasons as well. So, I mean, you, you wonder, okay, where when did he we, find time got him, to, play, to play football he, when he was doing all he this? He changed the world. His first huddle, I'm told. And I, I have to temper my language here because uh, this is a wonderful podcast meant for everybody. He said, listen to me, you guys. You're playing for me now. So you're going to make your blocks, and you're not going to drop the ball. And we're going to drive down the field, and that's how it's going to be, and we're going to score. He was the architect of the first winning season, and Haven Moses, Ring of Famer, fellow Ring of Famer, made the f- comment, Charlie Johnson taught us how to win of a player. That's the line that I think goes at the top of the Charlie Johnson yeah, resume. Charlie I, uh, taught us how to win. Yeah, when I was talking to Charlie a couple of years ago, he 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 almost died last year. He had uh, problems and he uh, overcame them. But uh, once when I was telling him about the the bronze and and uh, you know that the Ring of Fame Plaza, you know, tears were welling up, and I could see that. And uh, but he was he was a whale of a player. Interesting that uh, with Charlie Johnson and Jake Plummer, the other thing they have in common besides now being on the Broncos 100, both former Cardinals. That's started right. Started there. And the St. Louis Cardinals and the Arizona Cardinals. Didn't even think about that until now, but a lot connecting them, including now being on the to Broncos sh- 100. To show you how old I am, once upon a time, I was playing against a cousin of mine in one of our fields. We had lots of fields in farming territory. And, you know, each of us was a team. I was the Chicago Cardinals. Ooh. The Chicago Cardinals. Andrew. Long time ago. Long time ago. Chicago, St. Louis, Phoenix, Arizona, by any by any name, they did not hold on to Jake Plummer or no. Charlie Johnson. No, they could the, uh, To the Broncos' benefit. Looking at uh, another area of the team, special teams – is, I think, very well represented on this list, as it should be. Jim Turner and Jason Elam, they're your kickers. 
both Ring of Famers, both no-doubters. Two punters on this list, Tom Ruin punted from 1993 through 2002. And also, we had a vigorous debate about the other punter on this team, but with Billy Van Heusen, it was about more than just punting, and well, that kind of uh, helped swing it toward him being on the Broncos 100. The way I felt about that was this is about the Broncos 100, and sometimes a punter is an interesting guy in that he has an ability to kick a ball, but he's not um, as versatile as an overall football player maybe. He he punts the ball, and we've had some who, you know, we've all – not not currently, but you know we've all chuckled. We've seen a game. We said, "Boy, that guy doesn't look like much of an athlete," but he's the punter. He's the kicker. Billy Van Heusen started 35 games at wide receiver, had like 1,200 reception yards, uh, scored a rushing t- scored 11 touchdowns on catches, and had a rushing touchdown from punt punt formation. He was a wonderful, wonderful athlete, and uh, and of course. We've had a lot of punters who've had a lot of averages in Denver, but now here's where it's Denver. So there's, there's a lot of guys with a lot of average. Always because, a grain of salt. Yeah, that's right. But Billy Van was, um, was and remains a tremendous athlete. Now, he had an unusual thing happen in his family. He was at the kind of the wrong end of a, of a divorce uh, mm-hmm. because his, he had a, either a grandfather or great-grandfather who invented the collar. That's right. The, as in Van Heusing shirts. That's correct. That's the connection. Until you told the me collar. that. The collar. It never occurred to me <laughs> that he was connected to no, he was. The, the collar Except and that, the, the uh, shirt fortune, yeah. but, as it but turned he, out. But he will quickly put out that he's not, but uh, but he was part of the, the family at one point. Did uh, Billy stay in town after he Yeah, Billy him? lives here. Okay. He'd be happy. You could get him on the air. He'd be terrific. That would actually be. I had him on the radio, the TV show. Oh, Billy, you can get Billy Van. It would, it would actually be cool to, to be able to reach out to some of these guys. That, uh, and he was Billy Van. Uh, Billy Van. No one called him Van Heusen. <laughs> Van Heusen. Like, Alf, like if we say Alfred, we know who we mean. Yes. <laughs> actually, looking back at uh, uh, Billy Van Heusen, during his nine years with Which the Which is a long time, too. Yeah, that's another thing. He punted for a long time. In that span, among all, among all punters that had at least 100 punts, from 68 to 76, that's 48 guys. Seventh in average per punt at the you time. You know what? 41.7. So not only a, a punter, but a very good punter for and, his end. And I didn't even look up those stats. That was one of those gut ones for me. Yeah. I just said, no, Billy Van's better than this guy or that guy. And no offense to somebody else, but, but he was. But that's a tremendous stat. To be seventh among punters, and you're a wide receiver, oh, he, he's... Yeah, I like Billy. I'm looking forward to seeing him and uh, sometime at practice. And um, and he's the one you know. All you do is call him and say, "Billy Van, you get your rear end out here to practice." And I guarantee he'll say, "When do you want me? I'll be glad to be there." You know what? I, I sort of miss the era when punters did other things. Oh yeah, the, the, I, I I began following football on the tail end of this. Danny White was still punting right. for the Cowboys in the 80s. Tom Tupa was a quarterback and punter, and he punted a what lot longer than What did Alex Karras says, say, I keek a field goal, or I keek a touchdown. I think Remember? it was I keek a touchdown. I keek a touchdown. Yes. And, and sorry, that that's now seems racist or something. But the, the point is, uh, that that's what swung it to me for Billy Van. Wonderful player. He's, he's a good to be a wide receiver. 
It's like a long pass to Van Heusen, incomplete. Well, here comes Billy Van to punt. <laughs> Had to be seventh out of 48 guys for a nine-year period. That's pretty good. I think the funny thing is with Alex Karras, who, of course, has his role in Bronco history because he never did walk back to Detroit after no. losing the preseason game. But um, his team, the Detroit Lions, they were sort of at the vanguard in the NFL, one of the teams in terms of having soccer-style kickers who really did change the game. And, of course, Jason Elam is soccer-style. Jim Turner, one of the last, the straight-on kickers, along with Mark Mosley, he's on this list. You know, in the, fi- in the 50s, the, the Lions won three world championships. Right. And they won one of them when the coach quit, quit at the kickoff luncheon, saying, I can no longer handle this group. Mm-hmm. And they named a new head coach, and they won the world title, and, and they invented the Blitz. Then when the AFL and who, where did Ralph Wilson live? The owner of the Bills, he Gross Detroit, Point, Michigan. That's right. So he gets the Buffalo Bills franchise. Who does he hire? He hires Buster Ramsey as his head coach. Buster Ramsey invented the blitz for the Detroit Lions. So things get tied together quite a lot in this game, Andrew. Pretty incredible. And so to continue with special teams, we have some guys who were mostly returners. Of course, Rick Upchurch. No-brainer. No-brainer. Best punt returner in Bronco history. Gene Mingo, no-brainer. Ring of Famer. Yeah. Running back, kick returner, kicker. But you go to the 1990s. Other than the Rick Upchurch years, I would say the salad days of the Broncos in terms of kickoff and punt returns. And you have two guys represented here, Darian Gordon and Glenn Milburn. Now, Darian Gordon was with us just two years, but all we did was win the Super Bowl he had four touchdowns in one season on punts. Two in one Two game in one against game. Carolina. He was a tremendous returner. Now, while I don't think that one season is a career, which is why a couple of guys aren't on this team, because they're just very young and they haven't done it for more than a year. But Milburn, I mean, but um, Gordon was two years. Milburn was just three, but had 5,000 yards uh, re- returning for us. And, you know, he went other places, free agency. He had 11,000 yards. And pro football, but that's a lot of yards. It's a lot of yards, and in fact, the 5,000 in Denver, he is one of 16 players with at least 5,000 all-purpose yards in Broncos history. All of Every this team. one of those yeah. are on the Broncos 100, which I makes a lot of significant, yeah. And then the, the, the dividing line, the next player after him doesn't happen to have it, uh, and it goes down from there. It goes down precipitously from there. Yeah. So, uh, so um, Milburn was a fine, fine one, outstanding player. Classy guy, Stanford guy, works for some consulting firm in L.A. now. And uh, I like to think all these guys will appreciate this honor. I think they will. And uh, it'll take some getting in touch with some of them, but uh, we'll find them one way or the other. But each one, as somebody told me, John Kurt of Channel 9 told me once, he said, everybody has a story. And everybody does. And no matter when I interview a guy or, you know, Burnsy, Keith Burns. Another special team. Another special team. Boy, what a player he was. I recall him, and I know you have a similar story. I think it was late in the 06 season, and the team has mostly finished practicing. Most of the guys are inside. The special teamers are still out there. And Keith Burns was basically another coach for much of his career. Certainly the heart and soul of the special teams. But they weren't practicing well. And they're out there at the center of the field. And 
I'm standing over by the building. Oh, I'm 100 yards away. And I yeah. can hear him MFing those guys into oblivion. He lit over them their up like no effort. coach would. In fact, it was like if a coach stepped in to say something, Keith just shut him up. And he took it over, and he lit them up like a guy couldn't be lit up. He did this when he was younger, too. That's the thing. Oh, this wasn't absolutely. End of his career. He did this early in his career. Before we won the Super Bowl, I remember him yelling, we are going to get this done with you or without you. And if we have to put different guys out of the field, we'll put different. Well, he's saying like we. He's in charge like of he's, putting them out. He's not in charge. He's not part of we. He's part of the player. He's not part of the coach. But, uh Burns was a tremendous player, outstanding addition to this list. Yeah, and if you're making a Broncos 100, you've got to, in my opinion, pay attention to everything that is a part of the sport and to not have someone who was a core special teamer for so long like him, I think it would have been an oversight. We were kind of talking about some players off air, and that is one I would have drawn a line in the sand and, and gone to the mat to say Keith Burns has to be on the 100. Yeah, I suspect Mike Shanahan would share those feelings very strongly too. And you know what? The coach on the field. That's That'd be good company to keep. Looking at some of the current Broncos and it's funny because we do have the recency some bias of them, in voting. It's now. Yes. So it's, if it's four years from now, some of these right. guys are on it who aren't on it now. Right. But it's not four years from now. It's now. We can only go by what they've done. That's so, right. for example, while it would not surprise me one bit if we did this list in five more years and Bradley Chubb's on it and Philip Lindsay's on it. And there will be another list. There'll always be another list. Oh, yes. That some they'll, We'll keep doing it. Yeah. It, may, it may be 110. It may be... For a 70th anniversary, it could be 70 players, whatever. Players like Bradley Chubb and Phil Lindsay could be on a list in the future, but based on one season and, as we all know, not knowing what the future holds, yeah. it was just a little bit one, hard to one take One season, is, it's hard to call that a career. What it is, literally, is a season. And there are other guys. You know, we had a defensive rookie of the year once, Mike Kroll. He didn't have much of a career. but So you can't base it on one season. And he's not on this list. That's correct. But so that's why, and we've had guys who ran for 1,000 yards, Gaston Green, Bobby Humphrey, not on this list. Nope. So therefore, despite the wonderful accomplishments of Lindsey and Chubb, they're not on this list at this point. One player with a short career who is on this list, though, is Clinton Portis, and that is a case where Electric, two, years, two years, but they were spectacular years. Unbelievable. Arguably the best player on the team both of those seasons. Yeah, he, he might have had five years' worth of highlights in those two years, and as, as much as somebody enjoys somebody now, Clinton Portis was one of those sights to behold. He was like a, like a comet, like, like Gale Sayers, like Gale Sayers that rookie year. Only he had, Portis had two of them. He did it. Just he did it even better the second year. Oh, he had that huge game against Kansas City, yeah, the, the championship belt game. Yes, I, I told <laughs> somehow I suspect that that wasn't exactly our coach's cup of tea. No, but uh, after the game, he's got a championship belt, and uh, uh, oh my goodness! But that was Clinton's personality. That was. I remember. Gosh, I don't mean to. When he got the contract with the Redskins, and it must have been ninety-two million dollars. And I still had his cell phone. I called him. I said, Clinton, $92 million. He said, it's a start. And now he's a guy living living in Virginia and um, doing Redskin plea. But, uh, yeah, he's still doing some stuff yeah. with the Redskins. I hope things are good for Clinton. But, boy, he he could 
do his thing from the line of scrimmage. Well, I would imagine this. He's on the Broncos 100. I'm quite certain if the Redskins did a 100, he would be on their list as well. I would suspect so. And, you know, you say, well, two years. It's a funny thing. Also, with free agency now, a whole lot of guys don't play 10 years for you. And that's part of what makes this debate so interesting because – even in, the, even in the Hall Ward of Fame, they used to list. say, well, so-and-so's yeah. a fill-in-the-blank, a New right. York Giant. Well, now somebody played for three or four teams, and they're in the Hall of Fame. You could have a great career, but, and you don't stay anywhere longer than no. four years. T.J. Ward's on this list. He only played three years for the Broncos, but they were important years. He was spectacular at safety, especially in 2014 and 2015. Hard for me to imagine him not being no. on this No, and they say current guys uh, – Chris Harris Jr., of course. Emmanuel Sanders, Emmanuel Von Sanders. Miller, and Derek Wolf. Ah, I like to And D. Wolf. So there'll be some, uh, I, I would think, I don't know how people would take things, but like Vaughn will be a complete gentleman and he'll be wonderful like he is, but clearly he would know he's on this list. I would think, and this is just me speculating, that Derek Wolf would be particularly excited and will be particularly excited to hear this and really flattered and proud and so forth and so on. It's, we talked about the Orange Crush earlier, and that's an iconic defense. That 2015 defense, in its own way, just as iconic, helping the Broncos to that win in Super Bowl 50, and it is well represented from the defensive side alone. Of course, Chris Harris Jr., Von Miller, TJ Ward, Demarcus Ware, Derek Wolf. Danny Trevathan, now Aqib Talib. People will say you left somebody off. Yes. Not everyone on the Orange <laughs> not Crush. Not everybody can make is, it. Uh, with that's all a, respect to the Orange exactly Crush, I mean, Bernard Jackson's not on this no. list. Joe Rizzo's not on this list. Not everybody can make it. And so, yes, I'm sure we're going to hear, oh, what about Darian Stewart? Yeah. What about Bradley Rowe? What about any name that, yes. that somebody liked who isn't on it? Um, Sylvester Williams. I the mean, night not before everyone the, makes it. night before Super Bowl 50, I ran into Nick Canapa of the San Diego Union Tribune, a restaurant downtown. And, of course, the Panthers are a favorite. And he said, you guys are going to win. And I said, well, thank you, Nick. He said, no, really. He said, it's a generational defense, and it has one game yet to play. And, it, and that doesn't mean the defense went downhill, but it means that for one season, he said it has one game yet to play, and it's a generational defense. And sure enough, it it hit uh, it hit Cam Newton like a railroad, like a railroad that lost its brakes and is going downhill. It is justifiably in the pantheon of great all-time defenses. It's to me, it is in the class with the. 2000 Ravens, the 2013 Seahawks, the 02 Buccaneers, the 85 Bears, the iconic Super Bowl winning defenses. So to me, it's not a case of why do you have more than half of the starters from 2015 on those lists? It's how could you not have that many players? It was that good and that talented at all three levels. When that game ended, and at that point I'm a consultant, but I went down on the field and I was down in the elevator and going down with the Panther coaches, and a couple of them just said, there was nothing we could do against that today. Having Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware off the edge. Oh, my goodness. I'm really glad DeMarcus Ware is on this because, of course, with Ware, he played three seasons. Plus, he doesn't meet the Ring of Fame standard for minimum seasons because it's four years, but... 
you can't tell the history of the Broncos without no. Marcus Ware. And in that postseason, now Von Miller was justifiably the Super Bowl MVP, but in that postseason, those three games, they were 1 and 1A in terms of getting pressure. In fact, DeMarcus Ware actually had more quarterback hits than Von Miller in that postseason. And the, and the defensive backs were good enough that Wade Phillips was actually able against Carolina to say, we can really blitz because our defense backs can cover them one-on-one. I don't have to have a single guy double-teamed. We actually can cover them one-on-one, so I got an extra guy to play with to blitz all the time. Only so many guys out there. Well, what's interesting is in that and, run. And, the, and Cam Newton's busy, right. so he can't block. <laughs> That's, he might have been a fine blocker. He couldn't block. He there was, was one area that the Panthers were really weak on offense, and it was that wide receiver. They'd had some injuries, and so of course, there was no question that no fly zone could take care of what they had at receiver. Looking back on it in that postseason run, the toughest receiver on any team the Broncos played in that playoff run, it was, of course, Antonio Brown, now with the Raiders, then with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm fascinated to think in terms of the what if. What if A.B. had played in that divisional round game? I don't know. Of course, he didn't. I don't know, but like... I would have uh, liked to have seen it because the, after what after the way Chris Harris Jr. was frustrated after that game in Pittsburgh, there was that really bad pass interference call, well, and everyone kind of had to hold back after that and weren't the same... I think Chris would have gotten a measure of revenge yeah. if they played but in the playoffs. When uh, when we watched that no-hitter in the uh, uh, Super Regionals of the College World Series play and Vanderbilt threw it, and my grandson said, boy, what if he hadn't hit that guy in the first inning? And I said, well, what if, pigs, what if uh, cows could fly? Do you have any idea how many windshields would be destroyed when they, uh, mm-hmm. uh, by what fell out of the sky? But they can't fly, so... And uh, A.B. couldn't play, but um, this, is the, this is sports. Hey, we've had the NBA Finals with you know, one of the best players in the world out. What there are you going to go. do? Yeah. There's one name I want to mention on here. And, of course, again, you can go to denverbroncos.com and get the full list of the Broncos 100. But I would be remiss if we don't talk about Darren Williams. Uh, he is on a this wonderful list, young man. it's wonderful that he's there. It is a wonderful, wonderful young man, and his life cut short, and he did everything right that night. He, he wasn't a goofball. He did everything right, and it just, it just happened. But, uh, you know, two years he played. It's almost not about the statistics, but in terms of statistics, six interceptions, two return for touchdowns. He was on a pace to, to make this list uh, based on a wonderful, wonderful career, and it, it was cut short. It's arguable that on punt returns... And got returns, a nice fan vote, too. Yes. Fans certainly haven't forgotten about him. He remains very important to the Broncos. Of course, the Boys and Girls Club bears his name. And he, I think if, if he had lived, I think he would have played a nice long career with the Broncos, yeah. would have probably gotten that second contract... Who knows? Who knows? You, I mean, you don't. It's it's tough to go down that road, but sometimes I think of how in 2012 that great team could have had Champ and Darren and Chris Harris Jr. Yeah. together in the secondary, and boy, that would have been fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. But um, anyway, the they'll reunite later. But uh, for now, he's on the team, and uh, I'm happy for him. These are the legends, the Broncos. 
100, the best of the best in the history of your Denver Broncos, which, of course, we'll see its 60th season in 2019. Jim, a pleasure working with you uh, on this list and working with all the fans who uh, chimed in and offered their support of this and, and, and their votes. And um, I, there, I look at this list of names, and there are just so many memories. Oh, yeah. And they, I know they come flooding back for you as well. Yeah, they do, uh, and I won't bore anybody by going over them. You know, the longer people have watched, the more they have. Heck, I mentioned to a dear friend of mine, whom I used to go to, to went to high school together and everything, and I mentioned Cookie Gilchrist. He said, Cookie Gilchrist, I would think he'd be one of the first guys chosen. So it just goes to show you, somebody out there says, who's Cookie Gilchrist? And my friend said, Cookie Gilchrist, who's one of the greatest players, certainly, in pro football history. And, of course, you can go to the DenverBroncos.com history site. There's more on these guys. And, in fact, you can go to the history site and you can watch the annual highlight films. And so if you want to see Cookie Gilchrist in action, just go through history, DenverBroncos.com, and you can find the best of Cookie Gilchrist in orange and blue and so many others, so many memories. Boy, it's, it's been fun to put this it together. It was a lot of fun, Andrew. I was honored to be asked to be a part of it as was I. For Jim Sakamano, it's Andrew Mason. Thanks for joining us on the Broncos History Podcast, talking about the Broncos 100. We'll talk to you next time.